Today we're starting a new series, and as we do, I wanted to tell you a bit about some of my favourite movies. If I had the opportunity to have a whole day where I had nothing planned and I decided I was going to sit down and watch a movie or a quiet night at home was going to put a movie on, it would probably be one of two categories of movies that I would choose. It would either be a movie that is about someone who is a mentor or a coach who's on a journey of discovering more about themselves and what it means to be able to have a positive impact on other people and be able to make a difference in people's lives. And so when I think about that sort of movie, I think about Coach Carter, or I think about Goodwill Hunting, or I think about Mr. Holland's Opus, these amazing movies that help us to enter into the journey of someone who's having an impact on others. Alternatively, I might choose to sit down and watch a movie. The other type of movie that I really love is ones that are about people going on a journey of discovery. So people who go on this epic journey, and as they do, they discover a lot about themselves, but also change their perspectives and their perceptions about how the world works. And so kind of think of movies like The Matrix or like Lord of the Rings and being able to think about those sorts of movies where people go on these key characters, go on these amazing journeys where there's all this stuff that happens to them, but as they do, all of their mindset just starts to shift and change. And that's what really great stories do for us and really great movies give us the opportunity to be able to really enter into the journey of a character as they move through whatever it is that they're experiencing. But it really challenges us to take some time to stop and reflect as well. And I know all of those movies and uh, other movies as well that I've watched have really, really confronted me in that, that as I enter into what the character's going through, it makes me stop and hold a mirror up to myself and say, well, where am I at? What's going on for me? What are the areas that I'm learning and discovering and growing in? And what are the opportunities that I've got uh, to be able to see things from a different perspective or to be able to have an influence on other people? How am I responding? How am I reacting in my life? And so I'm sure that you can think of some movies where you've had that same experience, where you've sat down and it's been about really identifying with what's going on there and then holding a mirror up to yourself and saying, well, what can I learn and take away from this? The book of Jonah that we're going to spend the next four weeks digging into is one of those stories. It's a really great opportunity for us to do exactly the same thing, to enter into the journey of a character who goes through a whole bunch of different circumstances and events. But as we do that, it gives us the opportunity to be able to hold a mirror up to ourselves and to pause and to reflect on how we look at God, what our perceptions are of God, but also how we react to different circumstances that we might find ourselves in as well. So Jonah is a bit of a strange book. Jonah is mentioned only once in scripture outside of the book of Jonah, and that's in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And then we've got this story about Jonah. And there is some debate about whether these events are actual events that really happened, or whether this is a parable that somebody wrote using this figure, Jonah, to be able to explain a little bit more about who God is and the ways in which we respond to things. And that might be a little bit confronting for some of us, but it's kind of an important question for us to wrestle with. And for me, the answer is, actually, it doesn't matter. The reason for that is that there are lots and lots of parables that Jesus tells. I personally love the parable of the prodigal son. And just because those parables weren't things that actually happened, the parable of the prodigal son wasn't about a specific father who had these two sons, 
but that's no less powerful in terms of its impact on us and our ability to be able to see God in a new light and for us again to hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, well, how am I responding to God's amazing love? So if Jonah is just a parable that someone told to be able to help us understand that, there's a lot that we can gain from that. And if it was a genuine set of events, and we don't know definitively whether it's one or the other, but even if it was a set of genuine events, it's no less powerful for us. And so we can kind of set that question aside and say, regardless, there's a lot for us to be able to take away from this. Now, Jonah is an interesting character as he's portrayed throughout this book. And the reality is that Jonah is someone who is fairly selfish, who is fairly self-centered, who doesn't like to be made to feel uncomfortable. And because of that, I'm sure he's someone that all of us should be able to identify in one way or another if we're being really, really honest with ourselves. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is to take the opportunity through the story of Jonah to be able to hold a mirror up to ourselves and to say, what are our perceptions of God? How are we responding to the situations we find ourselves in? And what can we learn as we journey along through this story? So I'm hoping that you read through the book of Jonah in our reading plan a couple of weeks ago, and I hope that you've got it in front of you. So if you don't, grab your Bible and open up to Jonah chapter 1, or open up to Jonah 1 on your Bible app, or you can head over to the Bible tab just over to the side there, and uh, you can get to Jonah chapter 1 from there. We're not going to go through this verse by verse because my expectation is that you've already read it. And if you didn't have a chance to do that or if you want a refresher, feel free to read through chapter one again at some point. It's not super long and I would encourage you to do that. As you're turning to that, I want you to ask yourself a question. Who do you find it difficult to love? And be really, really honest with yourself. Who are the people or the groups of people that if you're really honest, you do struggle to love? They might be people that you find really difficult in terms of their opinions. They might be people who you are the most critical of or the most judgmental of. They're people whose opinions you might dismiss really, really quickly. Yeah, well, that's just them, and so I'm not really interested in what they've got to say. Is there a person or a group of people that you can bring to mind that kind of uh, fits into that category? What I also want you to think about is, and it might be that person or group of people, or it might be another person or group of people, to try and identify someone who you know, who you really struggle with, partly because of their approach to Christianity. They might be someone who really hates the church, someone who takes a lot of time to put down people who follow Jesus, someone who has no respect for the teachings of Jesus. Have you got someone in mind or got a group of people in mind? What I want you to do is to imagine that later on this afternoon, while you're sitting down having afternoon tea, you've got a cuppa, you've got some biscuits out or some cake, and just sitting there minding your own business, and all of a sudden you hear God say to you, I want you to get up and go to that person or to that group of people and to tell them that I'm not really pleased with the way that they're living their life and they need to change their ways. How would you react if that's what you had to do? If that's what you heard God say to you later on today, how would you respond to that? My suspicion is that we would probably say, I'm not sure about that. I feel very uncomfortable with that. It's not really something they want to do. And that's exactly the circumstances that Jonah discovers as we begin Jonah chapter 1. God comes to Jonah and tells him that he wants him to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, 
and to tell them that he's not very pleased with the way that they're living their lives and that they need to change. Now, Syria was one of Israel's biggest enemies. They really hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. And Nineveh, which is actually in modern-day Iraq, uh, it's actually just outside of Mosul, or it's part of the city of Mosul, actually. Nineveh was a place that was seen as a godless city, a place where there was idolatry that ran rampant, a place where people really didn't care about God, didn't really care that much about each other, a place where there was tyranny, where there was a lot of wrongdoing, Basically, if you could think about somewhere that you as an Israelite person thought the complete opposite of what I think life should be all about, that's what was represented in Nineveh. And so that's what God asked Jonah to go to this city, the capital of his most hated enemy, and to say, I want you to tell them that I'm not real pleased with what's going on and that it's time for them to make a change. So we can understand why it is that Jonah resisted this, why he was like, ah, sure if that's something that I actually want to do. But it's actually deeper than that. For Jonah, it's not just about, oh, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. That sounds a little bit scary. For Jonah, this was something that really was going to bump him out of his comfort zone and he couldn't be bothered. He didn't want to do that. Jonah was someone that, as we'll see over the next few weeks, was faithful to God as long as God didn't ask him to do anything that would bump him outside of his comfort zone. And as soon as God did ask him to do anything anything that bumped him outside of that, suddenly the walls went up, I'm not interested whatsoever. And so in verse 3, we read that Jonah said, I'm out of here. And we've got a map to be able to just dig into this a little bit more and to be able to see the journey that Jonah went on. Jonah lived in a city or a town called Gath Hefer, and God is asking him to go 500 miles northeast to Nineveh. So that's where God is asking him to go. But instead, you can see Jonah went to Joppa, which was a port, so that he could hop on a ship and he could go all the way over to Tarshish, which is over on the coast of Spain. Probably a year away. It would have taken about a year by the time the ship stopped at all the different ports along the way. And so Jonah is very clearly saying to God here, I have no interest in going the direction that you want. In fact, I want to get as far away from that as I possibly can. And this is one of the questions that was actually posed as we did our reading plan over the last couple of weeks. We had someone who said, why did Jonah go in the opposite direction rather than just staying where he was? Was it about rebellion rather than just disobedience? And this is a really, really great question. Jonah could have just said, no, thanks, God, I'm not interested, la, 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 and then stayed where he was. But Jonah does something far more disobedient than that. He says, I'm out of here, I'm jumping on a ship, and I'm going to go as far in the opposite direction as I possibly can, just to make the point that I'm really not interested in what you've got for me to do. I don't care about those people. I'm not interested in those people. I don't care that you might care about those people. I'm having nothing to do with them. I just want to go to the coast of Spain, set up my life in a lovely little village, have some nice siestas, and spend the rest of my life there. So this is the first opportunity for us to really hold a mirror up to ourselves and to be able to say, as we think about our own lives, what are the instructions that God gives us that cause us to run in the opposite direction? What are the things that God says to us? I really want you to put this into practice in your life. 
I really want you to follow these instructions. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, say, God, anything but that. And in actual fact, I'd rather go in the complete opposite direction than what you're asking me to do. And it's not just thinking about big things as well. This isn't just about God appearing this afternoon and saying, I want you to go to people that you don't like very much. This is also about small things in our lives, small decisions that we make, small choices that we make, the motives that we have inside of us. It's our thought patterns about other groups of people. And again, it might be those people that you thought of earlier, but a group of people whose background you really struggle with or who live out a set of practices that you really struggle with, people who are from a certain ethnicity, people who are from a certain sexuality, people who have different religious beliefs than what you do. The thought patterns that we have about that, are we open to God challenging us about those things? Sometimes it's about the attitudes that we have and the emotions that we allow in our lives where we say, well, it's not really that big a deal. The fact that I get angry is not that much of a big deal. It doesn't really matter if I fly off the handle. It doesn't really matter if I'm a bit jealous about that person and I'm kind of frustrated that they're getting something that I think that I actually deserve. Lust isn't that big a deal in my life. It's not that big a deal if I just kind of dabble in that a little bit. It doesn't really matter if I'm greedy and kind of know that I would love to have more than I really need in my life. Gossip, talking about people behind their back, it's not that big a deal. Are we open to hearing God challenge us about those sorts of things? Are we open to hear God challenge us about our thoughts about ourselves? And this can go in two different directions. This could be in terms of us having very negative thoughts about ourselves, which we know are not the way that God feels about us, and yet we choose to believe those lies instead of believing God's truth. Or it could be in the opposite direction where we allow ourselves to think about ourselves far too much and everything that we do and everything that we think and every decision that we make is what's in it for me? How does this impact me? We don't take the time to think about the implications of that for other people. For us, it might not be a physical choice to run away from what God's got for us. But internally, if we're honest, we know that we are running in the opposite direction to what God's got. And so a great way of thinking about that is to say, am I running in the direction that leads me more and more to what I know is Jesus best? Or am I running in a direction that takes me away from that? Particularly in certain areas of my life where I'm feeling a little bit challenged, I know what God's trying to say to me. Am I running towards what Jesus has got for me? Or am I choosing to run in the opposite direction? Now, to be clear about this, I don't believe that God intentionally says to us, that thing that you're most afraid of, that thing that I know is the biggest issue in your life, I'm intentionally going to make you confront that because I want to see whether you're genuine. I want to test you. I want to see whether your faith really measures up and whether you're really honest about following me. But what we do know is that God wants us to grow into the people that he wants us to be, that he created us to be, And that some of that growth only happens as we go through difficult circumstances. That sometimes God's best is to allow us to go through something that might be really, really hard and really, really confronting. Because on the other side of that, there's something brand new for us to discover that we couldn't find out any other way. I've had a couple of conversations with people about that over the last week or two. A couple of people who've been in really, really hard situations 
But in the midst of that, as they've hit rock bottom, they've actually discovered some stuff about God that there's no way they would have been able to find any other way. So I want to give us an opportunity just to pause and to reflect on that for a moment. And because this is fairly personal and fairly confronting and fairly challenging, it might not be something that you necessarily want to share. If you do want to share that with the people that you're with, then great. Uh, but whether you're on your own or with other people, just take some moments to be able to reflect on this question. Where, what's my Nineveh and where do I run to instead? What is the Nineveh that's in my life at the moment that I know that God's asking me to go there? And instead of going in that direction, where am I running to instead? Take some time to reflect on that. If you've got a piece of paper or a journal, drop some thoughts down. Uh, as I said, if you feel comfortable sharing that with the people around you, then great. Uh, but just take a few moments to reflect and then we'll come back together. Well, for Jonah, as he made this decision to head in the opposite direction, he thought, that's it, I'm free, I'm out of this situation, I'm going to be able to set my life up in Spain, everything's going to be fantastic from here on in, and so away we go. So much so that in verse 4, we read that a storm hit this big boat that Jonah was on, and where do we find Jonah? He's actually sound asleep down in the hull of the boat. He's so comfortable with the decision that he's made and so relieved that he's been able to move on from all of this that he's sound asleep. Now, the poor sailors are up the top of the boat freaking out about all of this and they're praying to their gods and they're doing everything they can. They're throwing stuff overboard, trying to think, how do we get out of this storm before we all end up dying? And all of a sudden, they start looking around. What happened to that guy that we picked up over in Joppa? Where's he gone? And they realise he's asleep downstairs, so they wake him up and they say, um, do you know anything about what's going on with this whole big storm that we're confronted with? They cast lots and they find out that Jonah is actually the reason why they're in this huge storm. And so they bombard him with all these questions in verse 8. Why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? And Jonah's response is absolutely fascinating. In verse 9, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, 
the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Does it strike you that what Jonah is saying here doesn't really match up with his actions? He says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jewish person, I'm an Israelite, and I worship the Lord. I believe that God is number one in my life. I want to do the things that he asked me to do. I listen to what he says. I'm in awe of who God is. Does that match the actions that Jonah is living out in his life? No, not even slightly. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite of that. And so the sailors say to him, are you kidding me? What have you done to us to put us in this situation? What are we supposed to do now that you've got us here where we are? And so Jonah thinks to himself and says, well, Clearly, I can't just escape and go to Spain, so I might as well end it and say, that's it. So he says to them, well, simplest solution, chuck me overboard, and uh, then this will all be over. And I'm sure he's thinking to himself, it'll be all over for me as well. So this is another one of those times where we have to recognise how selfish Jonah's being in this. Jonah could just jump overboard, but instead he chooses to say to the sailors, you need to do this for me. You need to commit this horrible crime and toss me overboard. Something that ends up being your responsibility then, rather than mine. This is a great reminder to us. The choices that we make, particularly when we choose to walk away from God's best, generally don't just impact us. There are ripple effects from all of the choices that we make day by day that bleed out into our relationships with the people that we're close to, the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, the people that we go to uni with, the people that we spend time with, our friendship circles, the decisions that we make, particularly when we choose to walk away from what God is asking us to do, generally has a massive impact on others as well. For Jonah, this decision to say, I'm walking away from this, ends up dragging the sailors into this massive storm and ultimately causes them to have to do this really, really horrific act. Well, the sailors say, no, we don't want to do that. And so they try some more stuff. They try rowing harder. They try as hard as they can to beat this storm and to take things into their own uh, hands and their own control. But they can't. And so ultimately, they pray to God. And don't miss that. They've gone from praying to their gods to praying to Jonah's God to say, don't hold us responsible for what's about to happen. They toss Jonah over the side and then instantly the storm is calm. The sea is calm and they are blown away. This again is incredible. These sailors, these rugged sailors who have all of their own belief systems are in absolute awe of God. They start to worship him and to pray to him and say, you are so incredible and so amazing. Just think for a moment about the reality that Jonah could have been a part of that. We recognise that probably if Jonah had said to them, yep, guys, this is all on me, I made the wrong decision, so if you could just drop me off at the next port, I'll head back the way that I'm supposed to go, there's a good chance that this miraculous calming of the storm would have happened just as much. And Jonah then could have been a part of that, saying, look how powerful God is, how amazing it is. Because Jonah's so wrapped up in himself and so wrapped up in running away from God, he misses the opportunity to be a part of what God's doing. But God doesn't miss the opportunity. God sees this great opportunity to be able to have a massive impact on these sailors and to turn their lives around. 
Now you'd think that ultimately this would probably be the end of the story. In some ways this could have been a really, really short story. Just one chapter, Jonah was asked to do this thing. He was disobedient, he ran away from God, and then he ended up drowning because of his disobedience. It's kind of one of the ways that we would think that this might play out. But what we're going to see as we continue to work our way through this book is that that's not what God is like. That ultimately God is compassionate. God is faithful. God is caring. God is loving. And even though Jonah's trying to run away from God, God doesn't run away from Jonah. Even though Jonah is completely unfaithful to God, God is not unfaithful to Jonah. Ultimately, as Jonah gets tossed overboard, he ends up being swallowed up by this giant fish. And sometimes this is another one of these things we can, we can be really distracted by. Was it a whale? Was it a giant fish? If it was a giant fish, how giant? What sort of fish was it? How could he possibly survive for that long inside of a fish? We wrestle with all of these questions. But ultimately, all of those miss the point. The point that's being made here is that God provided for Jonah. And if God had provided some wreckage for Jonah to be able to hold on to that would then take him to shore... Or if God had supernaturally given Jonah the power to be able to swim to shore, would it have been any less miraculous? The point is that God is there for Jonah, that God provides for Jonah, even in the midst of him choosing to run away from his best. God says, I'm going to give you more time. I'm going to meet you where you're at, as we'll spend more time talking about as we head into next week. But this triggers another question that was asked as we were making our way through our reading plan. Someone else asked, God seems so angry and so harsh, especially in the Old Testament. How does that reflect what we know in Jesus? This is why it's so important for us to read things in context. Because there's a few verses that we could read through the book of Jonah that paint God as this awful, angry, harsh God who's just ready to smite anyone. And there are lots of passages through the Old Testament that we can point to that would say something similar. And we wrestle with that and say, well, how does that match up with the picture that we have of Jesus? who seems to be so compassionate and so caring and so loving, always there for people, doesn't give up on people. How does this match up? with who God is. But in actual fact, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the book of Jonah, we see that God isn't this harsh, angry God who's just ready to wipe people out. In fact, God is unbelievably faithful, unbelievably caring, unbelievably compassionate to Jonah, to the sailors, we're going to see, to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians, all these people who really don't deserve any mercy from God or any compassion from God, and yet he gives them all of that. And throughout the Old Testament, that's what we see consistently too. And so that's why we talk about looking at everything through the lens of Jesus. That's why we talk about being Jesus-centered. Because ultimately we believe Jesus does come to show us what God is like. And then we project that back into the Old Testament pictures that we have. And we want to make sure that we're listening to the right parts of the story, not digging into the parts that don't seem to match up but saying, how are we seeing Jesus' character displayed throughout the story of Jonah? So I want to give us an opportunity now to be able to pause and reflect, and then we're going to transition into communion. The question that I'd love us to be able to reflect on is what are those moments where I recognize that God has provided for me and been faithful for me, even when I have been unfaithful to him? 
In what ways have I seen God look after me, provide for me, show me his faithfulness, even in those moments where, if I'm honest, I really didn't deserve it? Take some time to be able to talk about that. There might be a memory that comes back for you or a specific set of circumstances where you know that you're walking in the opposite direction from God's best, and yet God came through for you. Take some time to be able to share that, and then we're going to come back and share in communion together. hope that you've been able to identify a couple of times when you have recognised God's faithfulness to you. And even if you haven't, then what we're about to do, I hope, will be the reminder of God's faithfulness. As we gather around the communion table, as we take the bread or crackers and the juice and the wine, it's an opportunity for us to remember the faithfulness and the obedience of Jesus. That Jesus never ran in the opposite direction from what God's best was, that Jesus was obedient and faithful all the way to the cross, all the way to his death. He was willing to do what God asked him to do. And the reason why he did that is so that we could recognise that God's love and God's faithfulness to us is actually unconditional. That it's not because we get our lives together enough that God gives us this amazing gift. It's because of his generosity towards us. The bread reminds us that Jesus' body was given for us. That Jesus came to show us exactly what God is like. The juice or the wine reminds us that Jesus' blood was poured out as a final sacrifice. That it's not about us trying to prove ourselves worthy enough or faithful enough or obedient enough. The sacrifice has been made. God's faithfulness has been given to us. And so now we have the opportunity to respond to that and to choose to embrace the way of life that God has got for us. So as we take communion today, I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. As I take the bread, as I take the juice, as I look in the mirror, what is it that I see? Who is it that I see? 
What am I sensing that God is saying to me as I take this time to be able to reflect? And even more than that, as I take a look in the mirror, who does God see in the mirror? What does it look like for me to embrace this way of life that God's got for me that more and more reflects the picture that he sees, the person that he has created me to be? So when you're ready, take some time to break the bread, the crackers, to eat that, to drink the juice or the wine, and to be able to pause and reflect and express your gratitude again for God's faithfulness towards you. Let's pray to wrap up our time today. God, we're so grateful for the stories that we have throughout Scripture, where we're able to enter into the journeys that characters go on, the stories that we see there that help us to understand more about you, but also help us to understand more about ourselves, the way that we're responding to things, the way that we're reacting to things. And so we thank you for the story of Jonah. And we thank you that the story is really a story about you, about your faithfulness towards us, even when we're unfaithful to you. But we thank you for the other lessons that we can learn about the implications that when we choose to walk away from your best, there are consequences that come from that that often impact other people around us. And so I pray that as we head into this week, you would remind us again about those areas of our lives where you are challenging us where you want us to continue to grow and develop and to be the people that you want us to be. Those opportunities that you give us to participate in the work that you're doing in other people's lives. And I pray that you help us to do that in freedom. To know that we don't have to do this stuff to prove ourselves to you. We don't have to do it because you're testing us to see whether we measure up. 
We get to do all of this in the freedom that comes from knowing that you love us and that that love has been shown to us in the most radical of ways through Jesus. So help us as we go into this week to be the people you want us and created us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.